Tonight is August 23rd, 2017. The title of tonight's message is Foxes, Floods, and Fires. Oh my. Foxes, Floods, and Fires. Oh my. Second, I'm sorry, Song of Songs, chapter 2 and verse 15. Say there when you are there. There. I'm excited to be uh, be with you tonight. We're excited to get to speak to you about things tonight. Um, As we're looking at Song of Songs 2, 15, it says this, catch for us the foxes. Everybody say foxes. Foxes. Okay. This is going to be a long night if, if we don't all kind of jump in. I, I expect Treester, I, I expect uh, Baj, I expect Judah to have a little jet lag. I mean, they've been eight hours apart from us. I, they may have a little lag time in them. But none of us else in this room have an excuse, right? Thank you. I, I, the guys who have traveled the farthest to be here tonight are with us. Let's... let's Let's say it again. Catch for us the foxes. Everybody say foxes. Foxes. That's better. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards and our vineyards that are in bloom. Um, I want to talk to you tonight. There are some times as a church that we are battling for our very lives. Uh, Anybody been with us during those seasons? In other words, have you been around the last few months with us? We're battling for our very existence. We're battling for for families and for for, uh, the livelihood that God has for you. There's a lot of times where we are just battling and the difference is life and death. And there are seasons in our lives where um, we need to catch some foxes, some little things that can end up spoiling a lot of important things. I think, I'll tell you where I am, and I hope that this blesses you, and I presume that some of us will be in the same kind of situation. That for me, the last few days, the last few weeks have been a lot of little foxes that can end up spoiling this vine. The verse here in Song of Songs says, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards our vineyards that are in bloom. I want us to take a look at this tonight. I want this to be an encouraging word to you. I want, I'm not coming in and saying that we're having uh, giant areas of sin and, and here it comes. Here comes a hammer tonight. What I'm trying to say is, hey, we've got, we've got part of our team back. It, it should feel like I feel at rest now just a little bit more. We don't have everybody back yet, so I can't feel completely at rest. But as a pastor, it's kind of like uh, when my kids aren't in the house, it's hard for me to sleep. I may know exactly where they are. My kids may be hanging out with you. And I may be blessed that they are. And, then, and at night, I'm like, I need Gabe and Olivia and Anna to just be, I need to know where they are, tucked away, and then I can rest. That's just part of a parent thing that we have. But I want to tell you, I, I'm, I'm coming here tonight, and if you have great areas of sin, well then, stop it. Get, fall in love with Jesus and quit doing what you're doing and get it right. I'm coming from the perspective of, hey, we're going to presume that those things are there, but I know that little foxes can spoil a vine just as much as giant sins can as well. These little things that come in here. Let's take a look at the very first word. It says catch. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 5. We're going to do some rapid fire scriptures here. You can hold your place there in Song of Songs if you'd like. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 29. It says this. Isaiah 5, 29, their roar is like that of a lion. They roar like young lions. They growl as they seize their prey. Everybody say, seize your prey. This idea is actually a judgment against the house of Israel. Isaiah is coming and presenting this. But this idea of a lion seizing the prey is how we are supposed to catch the foxes. It's the same word in the Hebrew for seize or catch the foxes. Let's take a look at Genesis 22. Just some rapid fire scriptures here for us. Get to knock the dust off this evening. Genesis 22, and let's look at verse 13. 
says, Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld your, your, from me your son, your only son. Verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horn. Same word that we're, we're seeing here. It's, he's been trapped by it. It's been completely seized. Take a look at Genesis 25, just a few pages over. Genesis 25 and verse 26. All right, we got one. We got Steve there. All right. Genesis 25, 26 says this. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel so that he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. By the way, completely you know, off topic, how'd you like to be 60 having a set of twins? Come on now. That's... I just got tired thinking about that. <laughs> you have Jacob grasping or catching on to Esau's heel there. This idea that we are supposed to catch, we are supposed to get a hold of. Everybody say, get a hold of it. You're supposed to get a hold of these things that are going around. What's the problem with a fox, though? The whole problem with a fox is that they are difficult to catch. You ever heard the phrase, sly like a fox? You ever heard the phrase, crazy like a fox? Have you heard these things? What do they mean? They mean hey, you, these, these are very, very wily creatures. They're very deceptive. They have this, this uh, over the course of time, you read Aesop's fables. You read these things in different cultures. And what personification, what human characteristics, characteristics do they give to foxes? Well, that they're, they're just these cunning creatures. They're sneaky, right? These little, small, dog-like, pointy-eared creatures that come around are very, very cunning. Well, of course they are, because the Word is saying we've got to catch them before they do some damage in our lives. We've got to catch them before they spoil the vine. Let's look at a few scriptures about this idea of the enemy being cunning. Uh, By the way, have you ever heard the phrase, the fox that guards the hen house? Some of you guys are young, and you may not have all these, uh, these sayings that you're used to. A fox that guards the hen house, what is it trying to tell you? You've got to be careful to have someone who's guarding over you who can take advantage of the very things that they know about you. That, that could be used to harm you in the long run and not help you. That's the whole idea that's here. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 64. Psalm 64 and verse 6. I like that getting there. Amen. Psalm 64, 6. It says this. They plot injustice and say, we have devised a perfect plan. Surely the mind and heart of man are cunning. Well, isn't this true? Have you ever been, have you ever been going along and been a little bit too naive of somebody that's, that you're dealing with? I, I've had that happen to me. I'm, I'm going along and I'm thinking everybody's thinking as, as I am. They're thinking as pure-heartedly as I am. And guess what? Yeah, that's, that's, you don't want to be finding out that they're not thinking the same way you realize that the world has got a cunningness to them, that the enemy has a plan that is being devised. Since you're in Psalm, let's look at Psalm 83. Psalm 83 is such a a famous psalm because of these things that we're going to look at. Let's look at verse 1. Let's just start in verse 1. Is everybody there? Oh God, do not keep silent. Do not be quiet. Oh God, be not still. See how your enemies are astir? How your foes rear their heads. With cunning they conspire against your people. 
They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation. The name of Israel will be remembered no more. This is a psalm of Asaph. He's, he's quoting what he's often seen around him in the nations that conspire against God's holy people. Uh, verse 4, let us destroy them as a nation that the name of Israel will be remembered no more. In today's newspaper, uh, on Fox News Today, there was a meeting between Benjamin Netanyahu, Israeli's uh, uh, prime minister, their leader, and Putin from Russia. Because... Russia has aligned themselves with Iran in certain ways, but he's also aligned themselves in other ways. They kind of have an open relationship with Israel right now. And so they were discussing the threat of Iran that is wanting to set up shop in Syria. They're wanting to have uh, basically a campus. Iran West is what they're trying to do and set up a military camp in Syria. And Prime Minister Netanyahu was saying, hey, look, if this happens... We're going to have problems. As Israel, as a nation, we're going to go ahead and handle this. And we're letting you know, Mr. Putin and Mr. Russia, we're letting you know that we're going to go ahead and take action and we'd rather not have to fight you while we do it. That, <laughs> we're reading Psalm 84 that was written, uh, let's just, let's just give it, put a date on it, 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago this was written and we're seeing in the news today that this is exactly still what's going on. With cunning, verse 3, with cunning they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation, that the name of Israel will be remembered no more. Look, keep going. Verse 5, with one mind they plot together. They form an alliance against you. We've talked about this before. Your enemies may not have anything in common, except for the fact that they're your enemies. You can have different branches of Islam that can't agree on anything, except that they want to kill Christians and Jews. There's nothing else in agreement except their hatred for what God's doing. There is a plot that is afoot. We have to be wise that we don't lose ground to the cunningness, to the cunning of the enemy. The Bible tells us not to be unaware of, the, of Satan's schemes against us. Everybody say schemes. schemes. We can't just walk around and be like, yeah, everything's great. Everybody, everybody's happy with us. And golly, no, we're living in a pretty wicked time, aren't we? These things that are apparent in front of our faces, we cannot let these little things, we can't let our focus get off of the Lord, not one degree, not one bit. Turn to Psalm chapter 2 since we're here. It's hard to pass up Psalm chapter 2. Let's look at verse 1. Psalm 2, 1. It says this, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against His anointed one, against His Messiah, against the nation of Israel as well as the man who is the Messiah. The, they are plotting against. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians. We used to have things called sword drills when I was a kid. They would call out a passage in the Bible and the, one, the first one who could find it, you know, you'd stand up and read it. I'm not going to have you stand up and read tonight, but we're just going to flip a lot here. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, let's look at verse 1. It says this. <laughs> this is Paul, I love this. I hope you will put up a, with a little of my foolishness. Oh, sure Paul, we can do that. But you are already doing that. 
I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived, everybody say deceived, deceived. by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I'm coming to you with the same type of heart that Paul came to the Corinthians. Just as Eve was deceived, he is writing them, imploring them that their minds may not be somehow led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Look at verse 4. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Did you hear that? Let's, let's just think about that verse for a second. If you hear about a different Jesus than the one that was preached a different spirit than the one that was presented to you, or a different gospel. How are we doing on all three of those? Are we, are we thinking about the right kind of Jesus, the one that the Scriptures clearly give us? Uh, my wife and I, we, we, we watched a movie last night. And I'm not even going to say the name of the movie. You can ask me after, because we thought it was a, kind of a, a Christian-ish movie about martyrs in a particular country. And we we're like, oh, yeah, we're going to, okay. Hey man, we're going to try to do that. It, it made me so angry. I went from, from watching people who were in a movie representation of them dying for their faith, and I'm crying. <laughs> yes, Lord. To the end of the movie, I was so mad I couldn't, I couldn't talk. Because, not surprisingly, don't know why I was thinking that it was, this would come out okay, but they were presenting a different Jesus other than the one that we know. The movie literally had the voice. It was just a voice. They were, they were supposed to step on a Bible to show that they're recanting their faith in Christ. And so they're going to step on it. And as the lead character is looking at it, he looks at it, and there's a voice that just begins to speak in, to him. And it says, it's okay. You can step on me. I was like... You think Jesus Christ is going to say it's okay for you to apostatize your faith? I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was so angry. Why? Because they're preaching a different Jesus. And if you don't think that they're preaching, if you think I'm using the wrong word, then you're just mistaken. Of course they're preaching. They've spent millions of dollars to market that movie, to, to get it out there. They're preaching their message. Yeah, it's really okay. You can be a coward but it's really okay. That's the whole message of the movie. Preaching a different Jesus, it came from a different spirit. That's what the Spirit of God in me got so angry at. I was disappointed in myself for even giving any time to this stupid thing. Or a different gospel. They preached all three. But look at what this verse says at the end of verse 4. Or a different gospel from the one you accepted. You put up with it easily enough. Does it say you accepted it easily? So what does all my anger for that movie do? Not much. Am I putting up with it in my life? Better question. Are we putting up with it in our lives? Are we allowing distortions of what truth is and we just kind of put up with it because we go, hey, well, there's so much going on, Pastor. How can we, what can we do about it? Well, we're going to see tonight exactly what we can do. Let's look at verse 13. Same chapter. You still with me? Yes. 
For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder. For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. You know why I think sometimes it's easy when we're in a full-out battle and our lives are at stake? Because usually the enemy is pretty clear. He's just coming after us to kill us. Okay, I'm going to fight that guy because he's trying to kill me. This makes the lines very easy. Good guy, bad guy. Great. Let's go back to the old country, uh, the western movies where the good guys wore the white hat and the, black guy, the, the, the bad guys wore the black hat, right? To clearly identify who was right and who was wrong. Yeah, this is not how this is. The color of the clothes you're wearing is not going to tell you who. They're not going to walk up to you and be like, bad guy. Bing, bing, bing. They're going to masquerade as what? As servants of righteousness. The ones that we have to be most careful of are the ones who are trying to say that they're with us. That they're only trying to help us. That they're only trying to just come alongside of us and, man, we agree with you. No, if you don't agree with the entirety of the word, then you don't agree. You can't have part of this and it be at work here. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look at verse 14. Ephesians 4, 14, it says this. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming craftiness. People who are saying one thing and doing another. Anybody ever played the game of chess? Anybody ever played chess against a really good chess player? They'll let you take certain one of their, one of, some of their pawns and their, and their players and you're like, yeah man, I'm getting them. And what happens? They're already thinking four steps down the road and they crush you with a little uh, kind of sideways smile like, yeah, you just walked right into that. When I was in college, my freshman year in college, I took a philosophy, philosophy of religion class taught by a man who had a doctorate, a Ph.D. in philosophy and a Ph.D. in religion, which means that he was absolutely confused. <laughs> he was completely bonkers. But what he did very, very well that all of us little... You know, I was 17 at the time taking this class, right? These, all of us little freshmen in college are taking this class. And what he did very well was he would go, he would start off an argument. Well, I mean, we all agree to this, don't we? And everybody kind of in the class would go, yeah, that's true. See, what they didn't know is they lost the argument right there. Everything else was just them. He, he was just walking you down a path. And if you accepted the first premise... What he was very good at doing was just building the rest of the case and you either have to look like an idiot at the end because he's walked you in a logic circle that you have no other answer. Well, well, if this is true, well, then clearly this is true and everybody's kind of like, okay, yeah, we'll give you that. Yeah, you just, they were just digging a hole. Every little fox that you allow to get in there is just setting you up for your destruction later on. Every little thing that we don't allow the Lord to vet from us, every part of our hearts that we don't lay bare and expose before the King of creation at the altar here or at the altar of your own heart before Him and say, Lord, you have to look again 
I feel pretty good about what's going on in my life. I'm having a pretty good day. Lord, would you check it again for me? Because the little foxes are what's going to spoil everything. It's going to destroy everything because there are people with deceitful scheming that's going on. Look at verse 15 in Ephesians 4. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Everybody say truth Truth. in love. love. If you are a lover of speaking truth, fantastic. But you've got to speak truth in love. Some people like the love part. Some people like the truth part. The the, the way that this word says it is you've got to do both. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up. Everybody say grow up. Into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. While we're close, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. How are you doing allowing the Lord to examine you even for the little things? How are we doing as a church? If you are in between giant battles in your life, you know what this is the right time for you to do? To go look for the, to go fox hunting. This is the time. If you're not, if you're not fighting in, in, in your baby, if you've got a, a baby that's healthy and, and your job is somewhat okay and, and everybody in your family is somewhat healthy, you know what you do? You don't just take off. You're not like, whew, wow, man, that's a nice break for me to have. What we need to do is go fox hunting. Lord, yeah, because when we're in battle, I'm not really worried about the foxes because I'm just trying to keep my helmet of salvation on. I'm trying to keep my sword pointed at the bad guys here. I'm trying to go ahead and and interact with this so that I'm just fighting for my life because if I look or if I turn around, I might get knocked out and it it might be the end of what I'm doing here. I've got to keep focused. Wait, the battle's done? I'm in between battles, right? Everybody say in between. We're just in between battles. If you're not in one the second, you're just in between one, right? So what, what we need to do as a church is go, if you're in between a battle, you've just won one, You've just prayed diligently for the turkey team for two weeks and now most of them are back. Well, now what do we do? We go fox hunting. Amen. Lord, what are those little things? I, I got a few minutes. I, let, let me go ahead and what do we do when we spring clean, right? Let me clean the desk drawer out that I've been meaning to do for a long time. Let, let me clean out that part over here that, that's just been annoying me because I know it's there, but I've just been letting it go because I've had more important things to deal with. This is a good time for us to go fox hunting to make sure that we don't have anything that is in our way that can produce harm later on. Because in the kingdom, you don't have a point to just be neutral. There is no neutral in this, in this driving with the Lord. You don't get to just stop. Pastor Eric months ago did a, a, did a visual aid that I still think of. He talked about if we're trying to go up a down escalator. Okay, y'all with me? We're trying to go up. So what happens if you're, not, if, you're not, if you're not moving? You lose ground immediately. You have to keep moving just to stay at the same level that you were at. There's got to be motion in our life. We've got to be getting in the Word and praying just as much as we can. You know why? That's just to keep us steady. Much less if we want to go up with the Lord, what happens? You've got to turn up the jets, man. You've got to get going. You've got to... You got a bucket. Maybe I'm pulling on the sides to get me up because I'm feeling a little weak, but you you gotta get moving. You don't have neutral here. If we stop and go, let me take a breath. Yeah, that's not what we're doing. Let's look at Hebrews 12. Can you put that on the screen for me, Tara? 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, everybody look at your neighbor. Look at the other one that you don't want to look at. <laughs> Say, hey, thanks for being my witness. Right? Surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Right? Let us throw off, look at, look at the way this says this, everything that hinders. For the sake of tonight's message, I'm going to say, let's throw off the little foxes. And the sin that so easily entangles. Why wouldn't he have just said sin? Wouldn't that have done it all? Uh, Apparently the the Lord inspired this. So it's even these little things that can hinder. As well as the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Are you all with me tonight? We got to get the little foxes out, man. You got to go hunt those things. Those things are cunning. When you look one way, they'll hide somewhere and, and move somewhere else. You think you've got them, and they're just they'll 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 just move right out from your grasp. You think you have it, and it's hard to get a hold of. First Peter four. Let's look at verse four. They. Everybody say they. they. The infamous they, right? They say that. Yeah, who's they? Don't tell me that. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. Boy, that's so true, isn't it? You stand up for what's right just for a few minutes. What happens with your family? How dare you? You have broken fellowship with us. No, no, no. We're standing on what's right. We want you to do well. We're here though. Just repent and come this direction. We're right here. We want to take you back, but we can't break what the law, the, what the law of the Lord is telling us. They think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. They don't even want you to dip your toe in the, in the pool of dissipation. They want you to plunge in full force. But they, verse 5, but they will have to give account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You know, as far as natural disasters go, flood is the most uh, dangerous in our, in our United States economy. It is the most prevalent disaster of a natural sense, is a flood. I don't know if you've ever been in a flood. I don't know if you've ever helped out with flood relief. You know what's weird about a flood? What do you think of when you think of flood of dissipation? In, in my mind, I think of the torrent, right? There, you're, wherever you are, and there's a river that's running somewhere that it's not supposed to be. How do floods come on, though? There's a deluge of rain, say. Most often it is a deluge of rain that happens and the water just creeps in about an inch at a time. You're in the middle of a flood, but you're just seeing it rise. The problem is uh, people go to sleep and they wake up and they put their feet on the ground and what happens? They're, they're in six inches of water in their house. Oh, what happened? I didn't, I didn't know that the flood was coming. Yeah, you knew it was raining. Yeah, they were telling you that there's a flood. This is a flood. You've got to be careful. There's a flood coming. Everyone, there's a flood. There's a flood. There's a flood. And people get trapped in their houses. People are having to go up on top of roofs and paint things so that the helicopters can come in and save them. What happens is the flood encroaches upon where they are and they just presume that it's going to stop. Because you know what happens sometimes in the flood? It could stop raining. But what happens? The flood keeps moving. They don't understand that it's raining somewhere else and that the flood, the river has not yet crested. 
Pastor, why are you telling us all this? Because there's a flood of dissipation that is upon us. Just because you may not see it yet as a torrent right where your house is or where your house used to be. You know how people most get injured in a flood? They're in a vehicle. Or they're walking through the water. More flood deaths occur. I looked it up on the, the U.S. I can't think of the name of it. The weather center. Whatever. That I, I went in there and checked it before I came out here. More people die because they get in the car and they're like, well, we're kind of trapped, so let's just see if we can... And what does the water do? It picks up their car and they get in trouble. It sweeps it off into the river, off over the bridge. Or people think they can walk from here to there, but they have no idea the depth of the flood that they're having to walk through. Are you catching my easy homiletic here tonight? Yes. Are, are you with me? Yes. That, that there is a flood that is here. The flood of dissipation. At one day in our lives, we may see it as a torrent. We may not see it as a torrent yet. I, I'm, I'm seeing it as a torrent, by the way. When I can watch a movie that's clearly doing that, when I, when I can talk to people, when I can see what's going on in our world, in our society, I'm like, there is a flood, and it's taking people away. They're trying to, they think that they could just walk through it. Whoosh, and they're getting swept away. But they're out standing in the water looking at me going, come on, jump in, man. We'll just go, we'll just go backstroking for a little while. Um, yeah, you're in a flood, man. Not only do I have to get out of this, I don't even want those little things that are encroaching in on me to trap me in what I was supposed to do. Let's take a look. Let's look at uh, James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and let's look at verse 22. Don't let the floodwaters rise on you. I know we got tons of folks here from Louisiana. During, during Hurricane Katrina, we went down, my family went down into New Orleans and watched as people were being removed via helicopters after having been in the water for three or four days. The New Orleans airport that I have never been able to go to and not think about those days when I was mopping the sea concourse at 3 a.m. and talking to generals who were there uh, mobilizing their forces and watch the people get out and they were like, I, I just had no idea. I just didn't think it was going to be that bad. The water came in so fast, we just we couldn't get anywhere. Wow. I just Last year, some of you guys came, many of you came and helped out with, with family and church friends in Louisiana who had the same thing happen to them again. Let's not be those who are caught unaware as the flood is rising. James chapter 1, verse 22 says this, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Well, apparently it's not obvious because the word of God has to instruct us this. You know why? Because people don't do this. They will actually listen to the word and they think they're good. They allow the small fox of their thoughts to be distorted. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, you know what that sounds like? Someone who 
goes fox hunting and continues to go fox hunting, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Do not look at the person next to you. Everybody look up this way. Don't look at your neighbor because I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something. Um, husbands, what color shirt is your wife wearing without having to look? Um, what color, <laughs> if you don't get this one, I'm, I'm not even going to ask for responses. What color is your wife's eyes? Okay. I'm about to say, <laughs> some of y'all, uh, y'all are messed up. When you don't do what the word tells you, it's like you look in a mirror and then you immediately turn and forget everything that you just saw. Whatever was out of place, whatever needed correcting, whatever needed some help there, you immediately turn and forget the things that you were supposed to do. But when you do it, you can be blessed in what you do. Look at verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that, our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. You want to, know, you want to be able to get religion correct? Yeah. To look after the orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Do you know what most people, if they do quote this verse, do you know where they stop? After the orphans and the widows. And amen. Got to take care of that. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That is part of the verse, just as much as the orphans and just as much as the widows. It's amazing how we, we have selective memories, even on the scripture. We've got to get our thoughts. We've got to take every thought. Everybody say every thought. Every thought. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5 says to take every thought. You've got to cast down the, the, the every pretension that exalts itself against the name of the Lord. Look at James 3, since we're talking about our mouths. Look at 3, 3. When we put bits into, horses, into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by the strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue, everybody say the tongue, tongue. is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. It's almost like your tongue can be a small fox in your life if you're not careful. It'll steer you where you maybe don't want it to go sometimes. You've got to get a, that under control. The tongue, um, verse 5, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. Everybody say fire. fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. Wow. Sets the whole course of his life on fire and itself set on fire by hell. Wow. Everybody turn to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. How are your thoughts doing? Are you allowing your thoughts to be foxes that can spoil your vine? Are you allowing... Your words, your mouth, what you say. Let's look at Genesis 8. Let's start in verse 21. We'll read 21 and 22. This is tying in a little bit about what we spoke on Monday night. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, 
summer and winter, day and night will never cease. The Lord can assure us that there's going to be seed time and harvest. Are you allowing time to be one of those foxes that are trying to steal and trying to ruin your vine? Your thoughts, your tongue, your time. What are we doing with these foxes in our lives? Let's turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And let's look at verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Look at this next phrase. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Man, I love this passage from, about Paul speaking and giving his farewell address to the Ephesians. He's talking to them and saying, yeah, I know I'm going to have a lot of problems coming up. I know that there are battles ahead. But what I need to do, all I'm focusing on is finishing what God has put before me. I'm going to take care of the foxes so that I can finish. You know when the foxes come to get, to, uh, get the vine in the vineyards? They come at the, the freshest part of when the grapes are producing. It's the most fragrant part. They will come in just as the life is beginning to bud in a vineyard. And if you're not careful, those foxes will get in and they will destroy the entire vineyard. Each one of them doesn't eat very much, but they will all learn where the holes are, where the problems are, where the gaps in the wall are, and they will get in there and they will destroy entire vineyards for people. If we're not careful, at the very point in your life where things are starting to produce life, it's often that's when the little foxes start, start making themselves manifest in what's going on. What happens when we don't take care of the little foxes? Um, Tara, can you, I'm just going to give you a couple. You guys can, if you'll, everybody will turn to 2 Samuel chapter 2. I didn't think about this, but I guess I'm in Samuel for our turkey team and how much they like 2 Samuel. Uh, but Tara, before you go there, would you put up 3 John verse 9? There's only one chapter, so 1, 9, I guess. What happens when you don't take care of the little things? I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. How would you like your name to be the only time that your name is mentioned in the Bible? Yeah, we were going to come hang out with you, but that dude, who loves to be first, yeah, he's given us problems everywhere we go. <laughs> what a sign of immaturity, right? Don't kids do that? If you're going to have a line, what do you do as an elementary school teacher? Well, you make a line leader. Because if you don't want to have to fight with them every day, and you just rotate through and all the kids get to be first. Why? Because that's a sign of what children do. We want, I want to be first. I want to be the first. I want you to see what's going on. Yeah, Diotrephes loves to be first. Let's look at, um, keep your place in 2 Samuel. Tear 2 Timothy 4, 14. Diotrephes never took care of the idea of him wanting to be first. He never took care of that fox, and it began to define him. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. <laughs> the Lord will repay him for what he's done. Wow, we're a little, little intense on Alexander, this Alexander guy. We're supposed to 
actually watch and be careful is what it says in the next verse. But Alexander, the metal worker. I want you to know which Alexander. Just in case you were wondering, not the Alexander who owns his own deli. This is Alexander the metal worker. Take note of that dude. Because he's done a great deal of harm. Yeah, he, he didn't take care of what he was supposed to. Let's everyone in 2 Samuel chapter 2. I want to talk about a man named Joab. We're going to get a couple of lessons from Joab here. And then we're going to allow the Lord to work on our heart and make sure that we have no little foxes that are running around. 2 Samuel chapter 2. And let's look at verse 15. I, uh, I actually, I enjoy doing character studies, especially on, on, on Joab. I think you can learn a ton of things from Joab's life. And I'm going to share a little bit of that with you tonight. Verse 15 of chapter 2 of 2 Samuel says this, So they stood up and were counted off, 12 men for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and 12 for David. By the way, when you're counting through the kings of Israel, most people forget Ishbosheth. We usually say Saul, then David, then Solomon. He's actually a king in here as son of Saul. Verse 16, Then each man grabbed his opponent by the head and thrust his dagger into his opponent's side, and they fell down together, so that a place in Gibeon was called Helkath Hazarim. So what's happening? They're, the two armies are sitting on either side of a pool. They're like, you know what would be fun? I'll tell you what, let's get 12 guys, and let's just have them fight. Everybody's like, okay. Kind of like a, a gladiator thing, right? We're just going to box it out. We'll just have them fight and we're all just going to sit on either side of the pool. What happens is they will all walk up to each other. Can you imagine this? So there's 12 pairs of men. There's 24 men. And they each come. And as they're coming in to just fight, they pull out daggers and stab each other. Thunk. Like a double knockout. And those two fall over and die, as well as the other 22 that are there. 24 men stab each other and die. You're like, wait, what's, what's going on? What just happened? I thought we were just supposed to be like, you know, sparring with each other. Yeah, well, it got out of hand pretty quickly. It obviously escalated into a full-fledged battle. Let's look down at verse 21. I'm sorry, let's look at verse 18, excuse me. The three sons of Zariah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Ashael. Now Ashael was fleet, as fleet-footed as a wild gazelle. <laughs> that dude could run. <laughs> he chased Abner, turning neither to the right nor to the left as he pursued him. Abner looked behind him and asked him, Okay, just, just go with me for a minute. They're running. And Abner, who is on the side of Israel is running. And he looks back. Hey man, is that you? <laughs> yep, it's me. <laughs> hey, could you turn aside? Um, take to the right or the left, take one of the young men and, and take his weapons. They're on the battlefield. There are other people around. He's like, yeah, could you go fight him instead? But Ashael would not stop chasing him. Again, Abner warned him, Stop chasing me. Why should I strike you down? How could I look at your brother Joab in the face? But Ashael refused to give up the pursuit. So Abner thrust the butt of his spear in Ashael's stomach, and the spear came out through his back. 
Well, that escalated quickly again. Right? They're running, and he's like, man, I don't want to have to kill you. Yeah, I'm not stopping. Okay, you asked for it. And he kills, Abner kills this man. Take a look at chapter 3. Just setting the story for you. We're going to talk about Joab specifically. So Abner kills Joab's brother. Okay, this is one of the three brothers. He kills him. And so Joab, let's take a look at what he did. In chapter 3, verse 24. So Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? So Joab is talking to King David and saying, Hey, he was right here before us. Don't, don't you remember that he killed my brother? Did you forget that part? Why are you allowing him to go? Now he is gone. You know Abner, son of Ner. He came to deceive you and observe your movements and find out everything you are doing. Joab then left David and sent messengers after Abner. And they brought him back from the well of Sirah. But David did not know it. Now when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the gateway as though to speak with him privately. And there to avenge the blood of his brother, Ashael, Joab stabbed him in the stomach and he died. Come here for a second, buddy. So I'm just trying to give you a good picture of this, right? So they knew what happened. And he was like, hey, man, just what? Right? It's, it's one thing to battle somebody. <laughs> that was good. I, yeah, I thought, thought the sunflower seeds were going to come up there. The, <laughs> thank you. It's one thing to fight with the guy. It's another thing to be like, hey, bam. What I look at this is when Joab, because he's not taking care of the small things, what we find out that Joab is actually a person who's on a parallel path to King David. When, when you can be, how can you tell if you're on the same path or on a parallel path? Well, you have to find out points that, that go on here. David is going to say and going to have a huge scene that says, Hey, I didn't know. Lord, I didn't know that he was going to do that. I'm innocent of this man's blood. This is an unrighteous way to handle this. And Joab, what Joab has done is an awful, awful thing. But what we find out here, and we're going to find out in several places, throughout Joab's life, it looks like he's going with King David. He, by the way, uh, David doesn't remove him from his generalship. He's still in the army. He's still one of the leaders. And you're going to see it again and again and again. Or Joab, you think that he's going with you until the road diverges. Until one takes the high road and the other takes the low road. And you realize these guys aren't in the same vehicle. They're not even on the same path. They're just in paths that look parallel. When you don't take care of the small foxes in your life, you could be going parallel with what God is doing and thinking you're okay. It's a deceptive thing that goes along that you're like, we're going the same direction. I mean, we're even going the same speed. Look at us. Yeah, but we're not noticing that there's drastic differences in what we're doing and what the righteous standard of God is. We're not accounting for those moments when we zig to the right and they went to the left and then we somehow merge on the same road later on. We don't count those. We don't count those because we're not paying attention to the little foxes and we end up being on a parallel path to what God has for you. I can assure you there is only one way, truth and life, for us to be following. You can't be on a parallel path to God's plan and be okay. And yet, this is exactly where we are with Joab. Let's look in verse 36. We're still in 2 Samuel. We're just going to walk through this a little bit. Verse 36. This is after David has said, Look, I did not know. 
he mourned for Abner. All the people took note and were pleased with David. Indeed, everything the king did pleased them. So on that day, all the people and all Israel knew that the king had no part in the murder of Abner, son of Ner. So we see Joab killing Abner, and it proved that he was on a parallel path. Let's, look, let's go ahead to 2 Samuel chapter 18. I'm trying to put this in a way that we can all get a hold of it tonight and be able to respond to it properly. 2 Samuel chapter 18. So Joab, first of all, he kills Abner. In 2 Samuel chapter 18, we're going to talk about Absalom. Absalom was David's son who wanted to make himself king in place of his father. Look at verse 5. The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ataiah, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. They're going out to battle Absalom and his forces. All the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. So not only did the commanders hear, but even the troops heard what was spoken to the commanders. Let's look in verse 9. Now Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, and as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's head got caught in the tree. I just think that's kind of funny. His hair, his, his big old head. I can resemble that remark. <laughs> big old head got caught up in a tree. He was left hanging in midair while the mule he kept was kept on going. Help me. <laughs> Legs dangling. <laughs> ah, what's going on? The mule just doot-de-doot-de-doot going on. So he's hanging in midair in a tree. <laughs> Let's keep going. When one of the men saw this, he told Joab, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. <laughs> hey, guess what I just saw? Absalom just hanging there by his head. Okay, great. Joab said to the man who told him this, What? You saw him? Like the, the king's son, the enemy of the king. You saw him. Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? Then I would have had to give you ten shekels of silver and a warrior's belt. I would have rewarded you like a king, man. Why didn't you kill that dude? But the man replied, Even if a thousand shekels were weighed out into my hands, I would not lift my hand against the king's son. In our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ataiah, Protect the young man Absalom for my sake. Listen to this next verse. And if I had put my life in jeopardy, and nothing is hidden from the king, you would have kept your distance from me. What is he saying? A subordinate, a soldier with no discernible rank or position of leadership. He just happened to see uh, Absalom. He's telling Joab, the commander of the army, I'm not stupid. If I would have killed him and the king would have gotten mad, you'd have acted like you never knew me. Huh. I don't know what that guy did, king. You're telling me I should have killed him. He's like, I'm not, a, I'm not foolish. I know, Joab, that all you're interested is going after what helps you. I know it. Everything you do is about you. It's going to be wrapped up in helping you in every single way. Look at verse 14. Joab said, I'm not going to wait like this for you. In other words, since you're chicken and won't kill him, I'm not going to wait. So he took three javelins. Everybody say three. Three. 
in his hand and plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. Uh, why three? Per- perhaps he's showing a little bit of his disdain. You could have killed him with one spear, right? One sword would have done it. Why three through his heart? It shows you what a corrupt heart that Joab had. And verse 15, and 10 of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him, and killed him. Yeah, I, I don't know if the three spears did it. I don't know if it was the 10 guys, but obviously after that point, it was, it was pretty clear. Joab kills Abner and proves that he's on a parallel path. Joab kills Absalom and proves that he's ignoring the king's mercy. You ever ignored the king's mercy? God's trying to give you mercy, and you're ignoring it. You're bringing up, oh, yeah, but I did all these things. God's trying to show mercy to someone else, but you're upset because God's, because God wants to show someone else mercy. It makes you mad. How, how, why didn't, why didn't they get, they should have, that's just not fair. Really? You want to ignore God's mercy right now? You want to ignore the fact that someone's not having to be in a battle for their life? Uh, yeah, there, there's a serious problem in what we're doing. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 20. He kills an Abner. He kills an Absalom. Chapter 20. Let's start in verse 8. They are chasing Sheba, someone who is creating problems for King David. While they were at Great Rock in Gibeon, Amasa came to meet them. Joab was wearing his military tunic, and strapped over it at his waist was a belt with a dagger in its sheath. As he stepped forward the dagger dropped from his sheath. (laughs) He released it from the sheath so that he could have it in his hand. Joab said to Amasa, How are you, my brother? He's got a dagger in his hand. He's walking up. Hey, man, what's going on? Then Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. Amasa was not on his guard against the dagger in Joab's hand, and Joab plunged it into his belly, and his intestines spilled out on the ground. Without being stabbed again, Amasa died. Then Joab and his brother Abishai pursued Sheba, son of Bichri. Uh, when you read about Amasa, he is a guy that King David, for instance, says, I want you to muster the army. I want you to gather the army, and in three days I want, I want to meet them. Uh, Amasa doesn't get it done in three days. You don't really find out any reasons. He wasn't, I guess, a particularly good soldier. I don't know. But what happened here is that Joab takes his authority into his own hands. You know what happens when you don't deal with the foxes? In your own life, you run a parallel path. You know what happens when you don't deal with the foxes? You can begin to ignore the king's mercy mercy to you and to others. You know what happens when you don't take care of the foxes in your life? You begin to take authority that is not yours to have. You begin to deal with situations that you have no business dealing with. You have to walk exactly as the Lord tells you. Let's turn to 1 Kings. Turn in the corner here. Almost. 1 Kings chapter 1. And let's look at verse 5. 1 Kings 1, 5 says this. Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never interfered with him by asking. 
Why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and born next after Absalom. So David's sons. Absalom tries to overthrow his dad. And then Adonijah does. Look at verse 7. Adonijah conferred with Joab, son of Zerai, and with Abathar the priest, and they gave him their support. What happens is you realize at the end, Joab, because he didn't take care of the foxes, he ran such a parallel path to King David, he literally sides against the king by the end of his life. He's running a parallel path. He ignores the king's wishes and the king's mercy. He begins to take authority that's not his. And he begins to side against the king because he just didn't take care of what he was supposed to take care of. How does he end his life? In chapter 2, he ends his, the end of his days. King David says, yeah, I've kind of put up with him, but Solomon, uh, whatever you do, don't let his gray head go down to the grave in, in peace. And Solomon sends Benaniah. How do I say it? Do I say that better? Okay. Benaniah. He sends him and he goes into the temple and Joab begins to hold on to the horns of the altar. When you don't take care of the little foxes, Benaniah comes in and says, Hey, come out so I don't have to kill you inside the house of God. Come out here and die like a man. You've been killing everybody else. Why don't you come out and take care of this? He's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to let go. No, I'm staying right here. Hey, guys, is this okay that I go into the temple and do this? Yep, go ahead. He dies at the altar. The place where mercy is supposed to be found. But we remember that he had never, he, he refused the king's mercy a long time ago. And so no matter how much he's crying out for mercy now, Hey, look, the little foxes, they've already spoiled that vineyard. This, is, this thing is going on so far too long. He thinks that he can come in, hold on to where God's presence should be, but the Lord is far from him in that moment. And the righteous judge comes along and takes care of him. What an amazing thing. Let's turn to Judges 15 as we close. What an interesting character Joab is, right? Let me ask you this. Are you running a parallel path to what the Lord is, is doing in your life? Are you running close enough to feel like you're at least pointed in the right direction? Or are you exactly walking in God's will? Because if you're not, you've got to be able to take care of the little foxes so that you're exactly walking in the path that God says. Foot, your foot is placed exactly where He tells you. Not close to it, not kind of in the same direction. At least I'm going with you. Nope, exactly where the Lord tells you. Are you ignoring God's mercy for yourself or for others? Are you taking authority that is not your own? Anybody ever get involved with something that you should just stay out of? Me? Anybody else interjected yourself and offered an opinion that you really should have just stayed away from? All right, there's at least a few honest people. That's good. If you have no authority in this situation, you just probably shouldn't have an opinion about it either. If God has given it to you to do, then you need to jump in there. If God has given it to another one of His servants to do, praise God. If you think we're not doing it right, why don't you pray for us? Why don't you not mess with the authority that's there because you might 
find out that there's some foxes that are spoiling your vineyard while you're trying to correct our vineyard. Because ultimately, we end up just siding against the king every time we do it. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with these little foxes? These little things that come in, our thoughts, the time issue that's in our life, what we say, these parallel paths. Judges chapter 15 gives us a good picture. Let's start in verse 1. Are you there? Everybody's there? Later on. Everybody say later on. At the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. Now the chapter before, we see them, him giving the, uh, the Philistines a riddle. And if they can get the riddle, then he's just toying with, with, with the enemy here. His wife that he just married cries the entire wedding week. Does nothing but cry. And so he finally tells her the answer. She tells her family, of course. And so the bad guy, the Philistines, win the bet. So he just goes and kills 30 people and takes their clothes, which was what the bet was for. 30, 30, uh, 30 sets of clothes. He's like, fine, I'll just go kill 30 of your people and hand you the clothes because you won only because my wife told you. He goes off. This is him coming back to, <laughs> to find his wife again. Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room. But the father would not let him go in. I was so sure you thoroughly hated her, he said, that I gave her to your friend. I'm going to add, what is the phrase? We're going to add insult to injury. Isn't her young, younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Now, I don't quite know how I feel about this, Dad. Look, I know you married my daughter, but I gave her away to somebody else. Just go ahead and take the little one. Wait. Okay, we're going to move on. Verse 3. Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes. How long does it take to catch 300 foxes? Do these, these questions ever hit anybody else? When you're reading this, you're like, I don't know how long it take me to catch one fox. I'm a little out of breath just thinking about it. How do you catch 300 foxes? But apparently Samson did. He caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards, and the olive groves. He torched the whole place. So how are we supposed to take care of the little foxes? Perhaps we should see exactly how Samson did it. I hope that you don't have 300 foxes roaming around in your heart. I hope. There's not much room for other things if you got that many. But how, let's just say this. However many foxes that you have running around, you got to go catch them. You got to go get your hands on them and grasp them. You know what you do? Then you tie them up. And you set God's fire right in the middle of it. So that instead of the enemy coming in and taking down your vineyard, you do destructive work to the kingdom of darkness, and the kingdom of light is the one that's victorious. 
You have to be able to do this in your life. If you have anything less than 300 foxes, I'm going to say it's easier than what Samson had to do. Would you stand to your feet with me?